Eric Johnson and I discuss his 10 favorite Doctrine and Covenants passages next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. This is part two of our series with Eric Johnson of Mormonism Research Ministry, where he explains some of his favorite verses that he likes to use during doctrinal discussions with people of the Mormon faith. The last time he discussed, we discussed together the, his 10 favorite uh, Book of Mormon verses, and this time we're going to talk about his uh, favorite Doctrine and Covenants verses. But first, let's introduce and welcome Eric Johnson back. Thank you again for sharing your time with us and sharing these verses. They're very insightful. Thanks for having me, Doris. Tell us about, um, we, we talked about Mormonism Research Ministry. For those who may have missed the first uh, series on this, why don't you just briefly explain it? We're an evangelical Christian apologetic ministry aimed at the Mormon people. We live here in Utah. Uh, Bill McKeever founded this, uh, this organization back in 1979. And our main purpose is to be able to witness to Latter-day Saints. So why, wh what this uh, website is about is to help people who are doing that research to be mm -hmm. able to find that out, as well as we want Christians to be able to understand better as to what Mormonism really teaches so they can have intelligent conversations with Latter-day Saints and be able to understand where they're coming from. Them. Absolutely. Exactly. Right. It's a, it's a beautiful website. I love it. I go to it frequently Thank you. Uh, to get ideas and to get information too if I'm looking for something. Um, uh, the website we would like to put on the screen is Mormonism Research Ministry. You can contact Eric Johnson, Eric at MRM.org and um, the the website is www.mrm.org. That's it. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to talk about his 10 favorite uh, Doctrine and Covenants verses that he likes to use when having these conversations with, and, and this includes polygamous too, because we deal uh, directly with uh, biblical doctrine versus polygamy doctrine and where, they come, where they're coming from, which is Mormonism, the foundation of Mormonism. Right. So and, this applies to them as well. And I think we need to, if somebody does not understand what Doctrine and Covenants are, it's basically a series of revelations received by Joseph Smith to be able to give to the people. And so most of these are written by Joseph Smith right. as, as Scripture. This is one of the four standard works. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say most LDS doctrine, the unique doctrine, comes more from the Doctrine and Covenants than it would come from the Bible or from the uh, Book of Mormon. And so I think it's important to even read this book as well as to have read the Book of Mormon, if you're gonna have a lot of conversations, to be familiar with these. And uh, I find that by using these, the Mormon is not gonna be able to argue back as much as maybe if I were to use biblical references, because then they'll use Article 8, the Bible is true only as far as, as it's translated, translated correctly. They can't do that with us here. No, they sure can't. Yep. 
Okay, we have 10 of the favorite verses, so we're going to move right along, and, and uh, I'll read the verse uh, in the order that they show up in the Doctrine and Covenants, and then Eric will explain how he likes to use the verse with who he's talking to. So the first one is Doctrine and Covenants 1, verse 30 through 32, that says, And also those to whom these commandments were given might have power to lay the foundation of this church, and to bring it forth out of obscurity and out of darkness, and only true and living church upon the face of the whole earth, which I, the Lord, am well pleased speaking unto the church collectively and not individually. For I, the Lord, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. Nevertheless, he that repents and does the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. Well, there's several aspects to this passage that I like to use. With Whether it's with a polygamist or whether it's with a Latter-day Saint, the only true and living church. Again, when Mormons uh, talk to me, they like to be nice and they, they'll say, well, we think you're a Christian too. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't want to tell me I'm necessarily wrong, but there's more complete truth in Mormonism. And yet this says that this church is the only true and living church, whether you're talking from a polygamous right. standpoint or from the LDS standpoint. So I think that's important to point out that according to God, the restored gospel, where the great apostasy took away all authority, the priesthood authority was taken away from the earth, it had to be restored by Joseph Smith. So this is the church mm-hmm. that is That's the church that God is pleased with. Then he goes on and says, says. I, the Lord, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. And as a Christian, I would agree with that because one sin would make you ineligible to be able to ever come into God's uh, presence. That's right. So what's the solution? This is where I would disagree with this passage. It says, he that repents and does the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. And one of the things, Doris, you know this very well, uh, in the LDS faith and also in the polygamist groups, is the commandments of God are what gets you exaltation or godhood. Mm -hmm. If Mm -hmm. you hope to become a god, if you hope to have your wife with you and to add other wives and to be able to have eternal increase, then you're going to have to obey the commandments. Mm -hmm. Spencer Kimball said in The Miracle of Forgiveness, it's now, not later. And so I always like to ask the Latter-day Saint, so are you forgiven right now? And the Latter-day Saint usually says, that sounds audacious to say that I'm forgiven right now. Well, the, the, uh, this says the only way you can get forgiven is by keeping the commandments. So there's an admission. They're not doing what they need to do mm-hmm. in order to receive yeah. the forgiveness yeah. God has. And, and keeping the commandments is the part that makes it impossible, absolutely impossible. And it doesn't focus, it, fo- it actually focuses away from Jesus Christ and his, his the bloodshed that cleanses us from sin. Keeping the commandments does not cleanse us from sin. Only the bloodshed gives us forgiveness, not keeping the commandments. Amen. All right. Um, Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. And the Lord said unto me, John, my beloved, what desirest thou? For if you shall ask what you will, it shall be granted unto you. And I said unto him, Lord, give unto me power over death, that I may live and bring souls unto thee. And the Lord said unto me, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, because thou desirest this, thou shalt tarry until I come in my glory, and shalt prophesy before nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. 
Well, what we have here is something that contradicts John chapter 21, verse yes, 23. Yes, it does. Because there was the rumor that John the Beloved would live until the Lord comes, and John made it very clear that was not what was being said. Exactly. And, and yet this gets in here. Now, whether Joseph Smith misread that passage or what, I'm not sure. But So this is saying that John is... Here, John the Beloved is uh, is somewhere here, along with, we also find out in LDS scripture, there are three Nephites. Right. So it's interesting, if you're going to have a great apostasy and all authority is lost off the face of the earth, but you have four men who are somewhere roaming, we don't know where, some Latter-day Saints, I think they're mythical, but they have claimed that they have met the three right. Nephites. Right. And if these men are around somewhere, then how can you say there was a great apostasy? Mm -hmm. Exactly, true. And, and of course, in the polygamy groups, we were taught this same thing. And, and there were people in the group who had seen not only Jesus, but also uh, these three Nephites. Um, so, you know, we're all destined to die once. And then the judgment, that includes John the Apostle. He, yeah. he would be dying. So it's, it's actually a very twisted uh, part of the biblical text, which is sad. All right, number three, Doctrine and Covenants 25, 15, and 16 says, Keep my commandments continually, and I and a crown of righteousness thou shalt receive. And except thou do this, where I am, you cannot come. And verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my voice unto all. Amen. Well, this passage, section 25, is talking to Emma Smith, the wife of Joseph Smith. And she is told here, Keep my commandments continually. Interestingly, She's told this. Now, Joseph Smith uh, does things in the Doctrine and Covenants that plays games with it Emma. Does. In section mm -hmm. 132, Absolutely. we know, I mean, you know, that she's going to be destined for hellfire if she doesn't give in to what Joseph is wanting. So here she's told this, and if she keeps the commandments continually, then she's going to receive this crown of righteousness. Now, a lot of Latter-day Saints will say, well, that's talking to Emma. But the next verse, 16, says that this is my voice unto all. It's mm -hmm. not just to Emma Smith. And Mormonism does teach, unless you keep the commandments continually, continually, where I am, you cannot come. This should put a lot of fear into the Latter-day Saint heart and the yeah. polygamous heart yeah. for that yeah. matter, because if you're not keeping the commandments continually, this works-based righteousness is not possible to be kept. And this is the difference between historical, biblical Christianity right. and Mormonism. Mm -hmm. Christianity is saying something completely different because Mormonism is like all the other religions out there. What can I do for God? Right. I have to do this, get baptized and confirmed and go to the temple and so on and so forth. But Christianity asks a different question. Right. What did God do, do for, for me? You. That exactly. is that is the whole uh, difference and, and, between and the two. And all of this that we're discussing, again, takes away from what Christ did for us mm. and, and it makes us our own saviors because we have to do it for ourselves. Right. Okay, Doctrine and Covenants 42, 71, and 73. And the elders or high priests who are appointed to assist the bishop as counselors in all things are to have their families supported out of the property which is consecrated to the bishop for the good of the poor and for other purposes as before mentioned. Or they are to receive a just remuneration for all their services, either a stewardship or otherwise, as may be thought best or decided by the counselors and bishop. And the bishop also shall receive his support or just a, or a 
just remuneration for all his services in the church. And you can also read more in Doctrine and Covenants 52. So here we go, talking about paid clergy again. Yes. And, and they're for it here. And, well, God is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he says that the bishop should be paid, and why shouldn't he be? Exactly. Paul talks about this, that the workman is worthy of his yeah, hire. Yeah, I've got a couple of verses there. If you want to read them there in 1 yeah. Timothy and 1 yeah. Corinthians. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. And then 1 Corinthians 9, 14 says, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Pretty clear. That's pretty clear. Absolutely. You can't get beyond that. But what I love about this is you can go, to, if the Mormon is not going to accept that, he can go here. And the question is, why is the bishop not paid? Yeah. Bishops yeah. put in who knows how many hours in their regular jobs, 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And then can you imagine managing three to 500 people in a ward? Oh. And he's commanded to do this, and mm -hmm. he's got a lot of work to do to take care of that many people. I don't know how he does that with plus the family. His own, yeah, plus his own family that he has to take care of, too. Right. I don't know how they do it either, but, um, but he should get paid for what he does. And yet they seem to pride themselves in the fact that they don't pay their clergy. Not only should the bishop be Paid. I, I don't have any problem with their higher leaders getting paid. That's fine. But when the Latter-day Saints like to say, well, none of our, uh, our, our uh, leaders get paid. Well, it just came oh, out last do. year yeah. that Henry Eyring's pay stubs came out on Mormon week, uh, leaks. And, and very clearly, he was making in 2000, oh, well over 100000 mm -hmm. Then the argument back is, well, that's not very much money. The point is not how much it money it is. It doesn't matter. That's it's, not the it's point. It's that they are being paid, mm -hmm. but the bishops are not being paid. Right, right. And it doesn't matter. I mean, they should be paid. Just don't lie about it. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, number five is verse number five is in Doctrine and Covenants 58, verses 42 and 43, which say, um, Behold, he who has repented of his sins, the same is forgiven. And I, the Lord, remember them no more. By this you may know if a man repenteth of his sins, behold, he will confess them and forsake them. One of the things that I like to talk to a Latter-day Saint is to ask if he is forgiven of his or her sins. And the answer is, well, I believe when I repent. That's the, always the catch-all, I repent. Well, this passage here says, what does it mean to have repentance? And it says, you know, if he really did repent, if he really meant it, behold, he will confess them and forsake, forsake them. them. It's not just confessing them and then and then going back to that sin. And I go back to Spencer Kimball, the 12th president of the church. He said it's like a big ladder. And when you fall, you go back to the very bottom again. It's not something that you can just minimally excuse and say, well, it's no big deal. We all sin because the passage here, if we're going to accept doctrine and covenants as being a revelation from God given to Joseph Smith, then the only way that you can have forgiveness of sins is you have to forsake, forsake all sin. All the sin, which again, is that impossible, the possibility yeah. of salvation by way of Mormonism. The next one builds on that, which, uh, which is, is one that is specifically in my experience, um, Doctrine and Covenants 82.7, And now verily I say unto you, I the Lord will not lay any sin to your charge. 
Go your ways and sin no more, but unto that soul who sinneth shall the former sins return, saith the Lord your God. I have a friend who used to be a missionary under Jeffrey Holland in California. This was many years ago. And he was in a restaurant and a man named Dick Bear came walking oh, up to I him. Dick Bear, and yeah. he, he passed away a few years ago. But Dick Bear walked up to the missionary the two missionaries and they had a prospective convert who was going to get baptized the next day. And Dick Bear cited this verse. Mm -hmm. This verse haunted my friend for several years. He ended up leaving Mormonism and went to atheism. Today, mm -hmm. thank God, he's a Christian. But he said this verse was so depressing for mm -hmm. him. He'd go to bed at night thinking, I can never do it because if I return, and we just read, as you said, yeah. from DNC 58, that you have to forsake them. But if I return to them, not only am I accountable for that sin I just did, but my former sins come, come back, back upon me. On me. This mm -hmm. is not a gospel of hope. That's this right. is a gospel no hope of in that. It's condemnation all the way through. Absolutely. And you know, I remember that happened to me when I got baptized. And the first lie I told after I was baptized, it was just a horrible, horrible feeling that I had. That it's just a cloud, a burden. That, and how do you get rid of them from that point? And and what what. As a Christian, I can read even what it said in the last passage we read, I will remember your sins no more. Right. So what does he do? Re-remember them and, right. and then pile them back upon us? There's some contradiction there in the character of God. And, I mean, God says, as far as the east is from the west. Mm -hmm. it, so how there's no forgiveness if you're remembering them and you're going to bring them back. If you're remembering and can get them back to yeah. us. Absolutely. Thank you for using those verses. That's wonderful. Okay, Doctrine and Covenants 84. 21 through 22 says, And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. For without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. Well, in Mormonism, they have the priesthood. There's the Aaronic priesthood given to 12-year-olds, and then the Melchizedek is the higher priesthood given to 18 or older. And uh, those were given to Joseph Smith supposedly in 1829 by Peter, James, and John, and John the Baptist. And so you'll have to believe the story that Joseph Smith tells to believe mm -hmm. that this, this authority was given back. But in 1820, Joseph Smith claimed that he saw God and he saw, the, you know, he saw him in the pillar of light, God mm -hmm. the Father and Jesus, mm -hmm. and yet he did not have the priesthood. So then the question is, well, does this passage mean for all time or did it just start in 1829 or 1820 or whenever? Uh -huh. When exactly is this supposed to be? Because Joseph Smith... Uh, so, you know, says that he, he had this encounter with God, and yet he did not have the priesthood at that time. Well, and also the godliness part. Um, it was he completely godly when he had that vision as well? When you learn more about Joseph Smith, you find out he was quite a scoundrel in he, many he, different kinds oh, of ways. Oh, yes. Ethically, he is not somebody I would want <clears throat> to, uh, to leave with my children or my wife. I mean, he, he I wouldn't even he, want to live next door to him. No, not at all, because he 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 uh, he was good at stealing wives and, and children as well. <laughs> and married women yeah, too, absolutely. no doubt, so or for sure. But but um, 
Uh, and that's a question that people have asked is, uh, what, what, how did Joseph Smith merit, because he's in a big merit religion, you merit right. all these blessings, how did he merit it in those early days? He didn't. He, 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 yeah, he, and again, uh, I mean, we've got a lot of different issues going, including pride. I think there was a lot of pride in Joseph Smith's life, and it's unfortunate that, that Latter-day Saints hold him up in such high esteem. You can't, he mm -hmm. seems to be held in more higher esteem than even Jesus mm -hmm. himself. Mm -hmm. in many ways. Mm -hmm. And many people I've sp spoken to, they, they do that. D in uh, Doctrine and Covenants 88, 22 is our next verse. For he who is not able to abide the law of a celestial kingdom cannot abide a celestial glory. Now, a law of the celestial kingdom includes polygamy. It does. It really does, and, uh, and but you have to abide the law of the celestial kingdom, exactly. which is celestial law is doing all the commandments. Uh -huh. How often? Mormon will say all the time. All the time, they continually. Will, how many of them do you have to do? Well, all of them. They understand the requirements. They've been told this since primary, all yeah. the way from little children, all the way through. And there are three types of laws. There's the telestial law, terrestrial law, and celestial law. With this verse, sometimes I'll ask a Latter-day Saint, well, which law are you abiding by? You know what they normally will say? <laughs> I'm, I'm abiding by the terrestrial law. I say, well, then you'll get a terrestrial glory. Well, they say, that's going to be a great thing. Better, Where will I end up if I die in my, my, you know, right now? And they say, well, you seem like a good person. You'll go there as well. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot to lose mm -mm. by rejecting Mormonism and just living a Christian life to be a quote-unquote good person. So this is important because the Latter-day Saint has to realize you have to live this celestial law in order to obtain the celestial kingdom. And, mm -hmm. and you notice a lot of the verses in this is having to do with salvation. Because one of the things I'm doing when I'm doing evangelism is I'm really focusing in more than anything else on the worthiness of that person. And they know they're not worthy. Mm -hmm. And then to help them to understand there's there's a need for a savior mm -hmm. that can forgive sins and it's not based on your own efforts. And, and all of this can just be wiped away and just live in the grace of God right. for the rest of your days. Okay, we have two more to go. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants 107 verse 16 says, no man has a legal right to this office to hold the keys of this priesthood except he be a literal descendant of Aaron. And this was the rule back in the biblical times, uh, to be able to be a Levite, to be mm -hmm. a priest, to mm -hmm. be able to go to the temple and to, to officiate there, you had to belong to the tribe of Aaron. So I like to ask a Latter-day Saint, well, which tribe do you come from? And most of the time I get the tribe of Ephraim. Mm -hmm. That is the tribe that they would come from, from Joseph. Well, that's a great right. tribe, mm -hmm. but very few I have ever met who would say they come from the Aaronic tribe. And yet, you hold what's called the Aaronic Priesthood. How can you hold something like this and uh, to be able to call yourself a priest, which again, 12-year-old boys what? are able to, to hold this priesthood, this goes against what DNC 107 is saying. You don't have that legal right. And and uh, the Bible is very clear in Hebrews. Right. It talks about how Jesus He is, didn't have the right to be a, a priest in the Old Testament that. sense, right? But he was able, he was allowed to have that. Yeah. And he offered himself as the sacrifice. And so I, I think here, this is just trying to explain that the Doctrine and Covenants, it's a troublesome verse. Mormons like to oftentimes point out the contradictions in the Bible. Well, what about the contradictions of the Doctrine and Covenants? 
covenants. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of them there. And it's fascinating that because since the very beginning of Mormonism, they have passed out priesthood. More uh, The polygamous groups do that as well. Yeah. They just pass the priestesses out, uh, the priesthood out without any context mm -hmm. of lineage at yeah. all. Right. Um, and, and so where do you get your authority? They ask us, where do we get our authority? Where really do they get theirs? That's a great question. I mean, they get their authority from Joseph Smith and from the LDS Church. That's what they have. And to say that they are a restoration and yet, like for instance, we look at the temple. We're talking about officiating at the temple. What happens at the temple is not something that is done in the Old Testament. We don't see marriages right. taking place right. there. We don't see oaths that are being made. We don't see tokens, the handshakes that are being made. All of these things, marriages. I mean, Jesus speaks in First Corinthians, or excuse me, Paul speaks in First Corinthians chapter seven as marriage is something that's not mandatory, right. and and yet the Mormon Church has taken these things and they don't have any precedent for it, and yet they go ahead and they say, well, we're the restored right, church, and right. we can tell you what is true. And some people say this is progressive. Uh, revelation. Right. So that's why we get, they, they've expanded the priesthood authority now uh, in the progressive Mormon modern prophet revelations. Mm -hmm. So that's their out on that, but it's not legitimate. You know, it certainly doesn't go with what the Bible teaches either. Absolutely not. Okay, and the final one from my favorite chapter, my favorite section 132, uh -huh. <laughs> verse 54, and it says, And I command mine handmaid, Emma Smith, to abide and cleave unto my servant Joseph and to none else. But if she will not abide this commandment, she shall be destroyed, saith the Lord, for I am the Lord thy God, and will destroy her if she abide not in my law. This law is polygamy. Yeah. I threw you a bone. I wanted to make sure that you were taken care of here. And this passage is, I mean, it's interesting because today celestial marriage to a Latter-day Saint is marriage in the temple with a man and a woman. Sealing but for eternity. That is not what this is referring to. Right. And I don't know how many Latter-day Saints, they'll refer to D&C 132, but have they really read it? No. And then for Joseph Smith to threaten his wife, what kind of person does this? A man who lies to his wife many times times. What kind of man does that? The integrity of Joseph Smith is in question, mm -hmm. especially when he claims that God told him to tell Emma that if she didn't abide by this, that she would be destroyed. That is not fair yeah, at all. It's ugly. And you know what? In Timothy, we're told that there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Joseph Smith is not the mediator between Emma and God. He might think, he, you know, the Mormonism loves to have that, that male patriarchal leadership, mediatorship, but that's not valid. And if God was going to deal with Emma that way, he would have done that particularly personally with her, not through Joseph Smith, Revelation, writing it in the Doctrine and Covenants for the whole world to read. Yeah. And one of the things about Emma is that she never did accept polygamy in full force. Right. She didn't really understand, I don't believe, all of the different polygamous uh, relationships. She did. And then uh -huh. to her dying day, she denied that it ever took place. And yet, the history books, including the books written by Latter-day Saint scholars, say very clearly Joseph Smith married 33, 34 wives. The Gospel Topics essay says 30 to 40 yeah. wives. So mm -hmm. it's been admitted by the church itself that he was polygamous. They, yeah. And as you mentioned, children, uh, teenagers as young as 14, and 
He also married other men's wives. Mm -hmm. What kind of man does that? What kind of a man does that? Yeah. And then you mentioned in your article, which I think is a good thing to mention, uh, that he died young and she died old. Yeah. So it was kind of a reversal on his own. <laughs> what kind of prophecy is that then, Doris? Because he says he's going to destroy her if she doesn't accept it. He accepts it, and yet he's he's killed within a year, and she's she lives many years later. Yeah, she lives to be to be a, an old uh, an old woman. Um, well, that that. I think it's interesting that we're going through these. I love it. It's there's a lot more we could talk about and don't, but and can't. But uh, we'll be doing the ten favorite Bible verses next on our next part number three. So thank you, thank you again thank for you, sharing your time with us as as we go over these. Uh, and and you know, study is so important. Comparing biblical with doctrine and covenants with the Book of Mormon is so important for those who really want the truth. Um, I grew up in a polygamy group, as most people know. I never heard the word grace as it applies to God's gift of salvation. And when I learned about biblical grace many decades later, I was both delighted and shocked that God saved sinners by grace and not by works. And as I studied the Bible and compared it with both Mormon and polygamy teachings, it was easy to see that as they use grace today, it is not the biblical definition of that or the application of God's grace. They have redefined it. So it does not reflect God's truth of salvation by grace alone, through Jesus alone, and forgiveness comes by His blood alone. And so we urge our viewers to seek God's grace so that your burden of obeying all of Mormonism's requirements can be lifted by Jesus Christ and replaced by His promise of eternal peace and joy. Thanks for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.